welcome back to Confessions of a PYP Teacher. This is Lou Gerlach from ThinkChat. We are on to Confession 6, which is the ending of our inquiry series on evidencing the inquiry. How can we provide evidence that inquiry has been happening in our classroom? Oftentimes, this is a question that is posed by people who don't quite understand the process of inquiry-based learning. They want to see evidence of learning, and so how do we do that? As we are looking to assess student understanding, are we considering the entire journey and not just content objectives? So things to consider as we look back on this journey. Do students understand the why of the unit and how it is demonstrated? Did they engage in a variety of inquiry thinking? Have we addressed the questions in our A to Z planner? Do students know how to ask a variety of questions? Have they gone through different stages of inquiry to stretch their thinking? To authentically assess a child, we need to see the big picture of student ability. This is especially important with inquiry-based learning since it tends to be more hands-on in nature. How do we assess hands-on learning? How do we find the balance between collecting the data on a child and evidence of student growth? And do we really know the difference? So the IB has defined assessment in the PYP as evidencing learning, which places less emphasis on a big summative assessment and more emphasis on a formative assessment. This is the opposite of most curriculum focuses where a greater focus is on tests that collect data points at a particular given time. The IB came up with a model called the four dimensions of assessment, which includes monitoring, documenting, measuring, and reporting on learning. So we're gonna take a deeper look during this episode at each of these dimensions of assessment and reflect upon which assessment type are you using the most. So monitoring learning. Monitoring checks student progress against learning goals and success criteria. Hmm, where have we heard that before? It occurs daily throughout a variety of strategies and forms new learning experiences. So this is a daily occurrence and I know so many teachers who are constantly assessing their students. Every activity, they're assessing student progress, understanding of concepts. This is monitoring learning. You're already doing it. And you're probably doing it in the form of observation, anecdotal notes, questioning, having students reflect, posing questions and having students discuss with peers while you're listening on and taking more notes or having a one-on-one -on -one or small group discussion yourself. Providing feedback, that's going to be what it sounds like, feedback on current progress. But equally important is feed forward. What are the next steps for improvement? And then open-ended tasks not just a finite, fixed, multiple choice type of experience, but something that stretches the imagination and utilizes all of the skills 
and processes that you have firmly established during your teaching of the unit. Written and or oral assessments based on what is being asked, based on the age of your students, but you're still assessing the understanding of the big ideas. And learning portfolios. Portfolios that show the progress of learning throughout the year, but also the progress of student learning throughout their elementary experience that they can reflect upon as they go through the year and present to their parents in a student-led conference. That all of that is monitoring learning. That's the biggest chunk of our time or should be the focus of our time as we are assessing our students. This is collecting evidence of student growth. So important. Also, formative assessment. Also so important. Another form of formative assessment is documenting learning. Documenting is a major way we collect evidence of learning happening in the classroom and form new learning experiences. This can be physical or digital and is often shared in the community. So when I think of the difference between monitoring and documenting, monitoring is generally private. It's either you collecting the evidence, it's either students collecting evidence based on their experiences, they're writing reflections that reflect who they are, focusing on where they are and what next steps they need to take. It's very private. But documenting learning is where we're taking the evidence you've gathered and sharing it with the community. This can be in the form of photos. Photos are a great way to capture, but we also need a caption underneath that photo to give context of what children are doing and why it's important and how it's connected to the bigger central idea in your unit. Then there can be learning logs sometimes called interactive notebooks. But learning logs is a little bit more than that. It's not just teacher-driven materials, but it's also where children reflect on their learning. Then there can also be learning stories, where literally teachers and students are writing down stories about the learning engagement that they want to remember. Because oftentimes what happens is we'll capture a photo, but we don't capture the learning story that goes with it. What's the significance of it? How is it relevant? How did it challenge me? How did it engage me? Those things are lost in translation and require the student to give feedback and to remember. And as we know about children, two seconds later they forget. And so if we don't have learning stories, it help, It really limits our recall of significant experiences happening. Also, anecdotal notes, that right there, but having children create those anecdotal notes. These aren't your anecdotal notes. This is them capturing their learning progress and posting it. Student writing projects or any type of inquiry projects that want to be shared rubrics and checklists. Now you're showing 
those that are unaware of what inquiry looks like, how are we assessing this? What's this engagement assessed against? And if you have a copy of that rubric or checklist, they're quickly going to see that you have your standards and you have your requirements or whatever it is that is based at your campus, clearly being learnt and taught, but it's how we're doing it that's significant, that's bringing student fulfillment as well as achievement. Exemplars. So are we having student work be exemplars? And once again, documenting that learning in the student learning portfolios, making sure that we're constantly documenting. It's not only just for monitoring progress, but we need to physically have it either in a digital format or in a paper-based format, however your campus decides to do it for grade level. Now we move on to data. Data, these two, these two um, dimensions of assessment take less precedence. They probably take combined about 30% because data is important. Yes, we need to know against a standard measure where students are, but evidence, that's why it's called evidencing learning, is so much more important because yes, we need the data point, but the the journey of the growth of how we came from that data point to another data point is your evidence. It backs up. So if you have a child that goes from, let's say, a point 0.3 to a point 0.6, and your administrator comes and says, hey, how'd you get that child to go from 3 to 6? Your evidence set is how you back that up. Say, hey, here, here's my how I've been monitoring and documenting the learning of this child and how they've been engaging in this experience. Amazing, totally amazing. So it needs to be a marriage hand in hand. So when we're talking about measuring learning, this captures how a student is doing at a moment in time, such as a norm reference test. So a test that is purchased by a company that's given to all students at the same age level around the world or, can also, or around your state or wherever you live. Then there are district or um, whole communal like board created assessments, approved assessments. Then there are teacher created assessments. These all provide us important data on how the student is progressing and their areas of growth. There's something to note that children should not be made to feel under pressure because their data points are lower than expected by the school. We should never make children feel like they're in test prep mode, feel like they are burdened with getting ready for a test. We've got to find a better way in order to manage and support our data requirements without frustrating our students. And finally, the last dimension of assessment is reporting. Reporting learning is how learning is shared with the school community. This can be through progress reports, notes from the teacher, uh, weekly charts, 
a class dojo and other um, kind of social platforms, progress reports, student-led conferences, um, report cards, and learning portfolios. They provide us data on how the student is progressing and their areas of growth. This is important because if we never report on learning, then we don't know where to go next. It's the whole purpose of assessment, of the four dimensions of assessment, is to promote growth, to celebrate growth of a child. If we look at it from that vantage point, then collecting evidence and data is powerful. It also helps you as a teacher to know where to go next, how to support them in their areas that they're struggling and pull in small group instruction. So powerful. But if we're doing it as a means to punish a child or punish a teacher, then we've lost the point and we stray greatly away from inquiry-based learning practice. So how are you varying the assessments that you administer to your students? The PYP places emphasis, as previously stated, on evidencing learning, that monitoring and documenting over data collection, measuring and reporting. This is often in direct contrast to most government funded programs. It's the fact. So how do we find a balance in a data driven school? We can show evidence of student inquiry on bulletin boards inside and outside our classrooms, refer to prior learning, have students reflect more on their learning, take photos of the learning and display them with a caption and use rubrics and checklists. This will provide some balance to all the required testing that is beyond our control. This podcast ends our series on the inquiry basics. Inquiry is a continuously evolving process and I highly recommend that you purchase the book, The Power of Inquiry by Kath Murdoch. Her book outlines the entire spectrum of how to consider inquiry in your classroom. Unlike most books, you don't have to read it straight through. Her chapters focus on unique considerations when planning and teaching inquiry. It's a wonderful staff book club choice. In fact, my school has purchased it for the fall and we're going to delve into different areas at a time and then apply our understanding and improve our units in that area. You get that one area fixed and then you move on to something else. Remember this is not a race but a journey in becoming better. That's all we can do is become better. Reminder, if you're more of a visual interactive person, join our five-day inquiry challenge on Facebook. Our page information can be found on our website, thinkchat2020.weebly.com. You can join our Facebook group and join one of our many inquiry challenges. Also, reminder, if you need some support materials, also go to our website. There you'll find supplemental materials and a guide just for podcast three to six called Planning for Inquiry. 
So we hope to see you in our next episode in our new series on agency in action and how it's connected to inquiry and how it builds inquiry. So remember, hold on to that passion and see you soon.